0: Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. I'm so excited for today's guest. This is a guest I've been wanting to get on the show probably since I started the podcast. So today's guest is Bill Guggenheim. Bill is a pioneer in the field of after-death communication, ADCs. He is considered to be the father of ADC research and has written and spoken on the subject for more than 30 years. He became a bereaved father when his younger daughter, Janet, aged 47, ended her physical life in April, 2011. Bill and his former wife, Judy Guggenheim, founded, defined, researched, and named an entire new field of human experience that may be as old as mankind. They call it after-death communication and publish their findings in their best-selling book, Hello from Heaven. Bill and Judy have conservatively estimated that at least 60 million Americans, or one out of five people, have had an ADC, though the actual numbers may be closer to double these figures. Welcome, Bill, to the show. A few things to talk about before we get started with today's episode. If you have not subscribed to my newsletter yet, I have some exciting things coming out in the next weeks, months, unclear how long it's gonna take me to get it together, but there'll be some stuff coming out and I don't want you to miss it. So head on over to DrAmyRobbins.com and subscribe to my newsletter. And I also wanted to tell everybody about an amazing opportunity with IANS. IANS is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and their 2020 conference is online. This year's theme is Unlocking the Healing Wisdom of NDEs, and the program is packed to the brim with fantastic speakers, and experts to guide newcomers and seasoned experiences alike through the mysterious worlds of near-death experiences, spirits, and the afterlife. This conference, again, is online via Zoom, August 14th to 16th, and you can visit iands.org for more info. That is IANDS.org. And many of the speakers who have been on this show in the past are also members of ians. It's an amazing organization that really promotes the work, so much of the work that I'm doing on this show in terms of bringing to light many people's spiritual experiences and spiritually transformative experiences. So head on over and check that out. And now to today's show.
1: My pleasure to be here, Amy.
0: I'm so excited to have you. So tell us first a little about you, because this is a stark contrast, this world of after-death communications, to where you started out.
1: Very. That's for sure. Well, I grew up on Long Island and in Manhattan, New Jersey, Northeast, in other words. And I used to be a stockbroker and a securities analyst on Wall Street. And I was a materialist at that point. I did not believe in life after death or anything like this whatsoever. Nothing. If you said you were a medium, I would have looked at you like, uh, well, you don't want to know.
0: <laughs> like I looked. At, like I used to look at myself, probably. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, some kind of a nutcase, and so much for that. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you had to be a fraud in the medium because I believed, I compared people to flashlight batteries. When the juice ran out, you threw the body away. When you're dead, you're dead, was my very simple philosophy. But, so, uh,
0: how did that shift and change for you? What well, basically,
1: it's uh, so a long story, but uh, I was invited to a five day workshop with Elizabeth Kubler Ross here in Florida. We moved to Florida in 1974. And in 1977, I found myself at a five-day workshop with her, and she was the founder of the death and dying uh, movement, so to speak, and wrote all the books, early books, the first books about death and dying, which was a subject people were just didn't talk about uh, prior to that. That was in the 60s and 70s. And it was at her workshop, uh, we had 70 people, and uh, we shared a great deal about ourselves. And even though it was uh, supposedly about... Uh, Death and dying was really about life and living, because we bonded tremendously like one big, huge family. And on a Thursday night, uh, it was going to end Friday, Thursday night, a woman who was a nurse uh, related uh, two experiences, how her daughter had been out walking and been hit by a a driver in a car and she and her girlfriend were both killed. It was not a drunk driver, it was just bad lighting and early evening and whatnot. Anyway, the point of it is that the daughter came and visited her many months later, and she called it at first a dream, but it was unlike any other dream she'd ever had. It was very vivid, clear, crystal clear, and she remembered every part of it, every detail. And uh, it was obviously very comforting to her, but at first I dismissed it because when I heard the word dream, dreams weren't real to me at that point. They were just you know, nice little things that happen while you're asleep, or not so nice if they're hmm. nightmares. And then she went on to say that uh, this girl's younger brother was doing his homework one night and he looked up and he saw his sister, deceased sister standing there and he could see her and see what she was wearing, describe your clothes, expression on her face and everything. He rushed out into the living room and said, Kathy's here. Kathy's here. And because uh, he was scared. he had never heard of anything like this happening. And the talked talk about 15 to 20 seconds. And I thought, let's see, teenage boy, Sees the sea sister, hm, little marijuana, little something else, mm-hmm. who knows? Teenagers. So you were
0: looking for every opportunity. Yeah, I, I mean, for that was not my to be That's true. the way my
1: mind worked. That's mm-hmm. the way it had to be. That was reality at that point. But then Elizabeth recounted an experience she had had with a patient who had died 10 months uh, earlier. And that would be been somebody she spent a lot of time with, a lot of detail. I won't go through the whole experience. It's in our book and many mm-hmm. others. Yeah. But at that point, I recognized Elizabeth had nothing to gain and everything to lose by sharing that with us. And apparently she had shared it many times elsewhere. It was in print. And she did it with much larger groups than 70 people, so with hundreds if not thousands of people had heard it. And I thought, this is something I want to check out. So when I came home from the workshop, which, by the way, were the five most joyous consecutive days of my entire lifetime.
0: I mean, to be able to learn from her? I was 38
1: years old at that point. um, I wanted to find out if there were other people that had these experiences. And so I'd send off for books from libraries, and I'd find two or three accounts here, one there. If I was lucky, half a dozen. But nobody ever studied the field. There was no... uh, Comparison of one with another. Were they real? They were all called paranormal and parapsychological, that kind of book kind of thing, labeled, and they were mysterious. And so I wanted to go further, maybe write a book about this, but i who was I? I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a PhD. And I thought if I wrote the book, Nobody would publish it. And I tried to get Raymond Moody to write the book. And Of course, he's the one who wrote the first book about near death experiences. I'd met Raymond uh, a couple of years earlier. And uh, while he never said no to me, he never said quite yes to me. He kept saying, <laughs> Well, I have this other project I have to do. And he put me off for quite a few years. And finally, I did have an experience, with, again, which is in the book, with our son in 1980. Uh, Judy and I had been sitting in the living room on a Sunday afternoon and a voice in my head, I didn't hear any words, but it was a thought. And I heard it very clearly, said to go outside and check the swimming pool. And our youngest son, who was not yet two years old, uh, was out, was down there. And because I went out to close the gate, and when I did, I saw he was in the deep end, floating, not moving. And I didn't know what to think. I screamed my wife's name, Judy, ran down the side of the pool. And just that moment before I jumped into the pool to re- rescue him, I noticed that his eyes were open. He seemed to be smiling, but he was about an inch under the water.
0: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: yeah, I didn't have time for my heart to stop, but it stops, so to speak. And I jumped into the water, came up under him, pushed him to the side. And Judy had heard me scream and came out and pulled him out by the wrist. And all this happened so rapidly He did not even require CPR, nothing. It was was okay. He spit up a little bit of water. So I had my first experience of this, of hearing a voice uh, saying, go outside and check the swimming pool. And that's the way they work. It's always indirect. They'll say, look at the barn. They don't say the barn's on fire. Or Mm. I'm going to say this to your viewers. If you ever hear or sense a voice or anything else saying, to stop your car, slow down, pull over, something very simple like that, please do it. It will probably save your life. In disregard everything else I say, but this may be vitally important to preserve your life and that of any other people in your car, because I've had other things like that happen too. So uh, finally, uh, 11 years later, the same voice spoke to me again. Rather than waiting for Raymond Moody, it said to write your own book and do your own research it's your spiritual work to do. Hmm. And that was my father who had died. Hmm. He died in 1947 when I was a little boy, eight years old. And, uh, so I began doing that and I called Judy to ask her, would she work with me? We had, we were married 17 years. We were divorced for four years at this point. And, but we were still friends and she knew the topics the best because I'd been talking about it for so many years with her. This was 1988. And, uh, she said yes. And, not knowing if we find 50 people first year or 100 or how many. Long story short, we found 500 people to interview the very first year. And a little over that time, uh, we were invited to be presenters at a national conference of the Compassionate Friends, which is a self a support group for bereaved parents, the largest in the United States. And this was going to be in Tampa, which is just two hours away. So we went over, and our first workshop was more than 300 people.
0: Wow. And
1: uh, my thing was, I used to have a great fear of public speaking, but here we had something important to communicate. We didn't know that much after one year, because it really took us seven years to do the research and the writing, but we had a, a fair amount to say. And uh, it went very well for that first workshop, and then we had another one with more than 200 people with it. So that was the beginning of our work. And uh, we had a great deal of help throughout those seven years in terms of uh, newsletters supporting us and finding people for us, and newspapers and uh, TV shows, radio shows. We had a great deal of publicity. And... uh, I remember one time there was an article in one of the magazines, and the phone kept ringing so fast, if I took my hand off, I had to put it back on to pick it up again. It's just ring, 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 ring. By the way, I let the answer machine take the calls, and I called them back later. So, That's uh, a tremendous can, interest in the field.
0: Yeah. So can you tell us what exactly, how, how you define an after-death oh, communication?
1: Sure. An after-death communication experience, or an ADC, after-death communication we say is a spiritual experience that occurs when a person is contacted directly and spontaneously by a family member or a friend who has died. They are direct experiences because no third parties are involved. There are no mediums or psychics or rituals or therapists or anybody, nobody, just you and whoever it is who who died. And they're spontaneous experiences because our loved ones choose when where and how to contact us. We may want it to happen, desperately want it to happen, as most bereaved parents do, but it's up to them to contact us and for us to be open to it. We have to learn how to be open, which is really learning how to become more intuitive, having our inner senses open up. And that's what really makes a medium a medium is what the fact your your senses are so, inner senses are so open that you can, whatever your gifts are, see, hear, uh, feel the presence you receive the messages you
0: do. So you would, so the difference really is the spontaneity of it. Yes. And who's in charge that that the spirit or our loved one is in charge of, of that communication versus as a medium, you kind of calling that in or inviting that in.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: And can you take us through, cause you do this in the book, but you're very specific about Various types of after death communication. Well,
1: we found in our seven years, we, uh, by the way, we interviewed over 2,000 people who were living in all 50 states and all 10 Canadian provinces, and uh, we collected more than 3,300 first hand accounts, meaning some people had more than one experience, no so matter a whole bunch of them, as a matter of fact. But uh, we found that these all fell into 12 different categories, round number 12, but that's what happened. Hmm. And the most common is sensing or feeling the presence of your loved one. A very distinct knowing that he or she is there near you, nearby. Some people can say, even point out where in the room they are, over here, over there. Some people feel a a change of temperature becomes warmer or colder. And they can also tell when that loved one leaves the room. Or leaves the area that they're in. May not be a room, but leaves the area. And it's, uh, I believe they come for a purpose more than just being there. I think they want to communicate verbally or something like that. And it's really what we say to people is if this happens again, sit down, close your eyes, take a few deep breaths, relax, and ask, Do you have a message for me? I think that's what that's meant to be. And because the next category we have is hearing a voice. And some people hear a voice as you're hearing mine through your ears, as your audience is. However, the majority receive it, have one or two-way communication by telepathy. You receive thoughts in your head. It's impossible to describe. You just know it when it happens. Mm-hmm. And you receive uh, words, phrases, and sentences, all ones. And you can think back a thought and have a two-way communication like that. And some people do. I spoke to one woman who had a business with her husband that he died young. And he contacted her every day and helped her manage it for many, many years thereafter. And there are other, not just one example, but there are other examples of two-way communication. In this case, it was not just personal, but uh, business-related. Feeling the touch is between two people who are very close uh, emotionally, because you wouldn't recognize the touch of somebody more distant. I'm speaking of a kiss, a hug, a pat, a tap, a caress, arm around your shoulders, something very warm and affectionate and uh, nurturing, loving. Some people smell a fragrance. Now, this I give the example of somebody being in the middle of Minnesota and it's all ice and snow outside in the middle of winter, and all of a sudden a whole area is suffused with a scent of lilacs or roses or whatever it might be. And they can smell it, but they don't say anything. Somebody else comes along. Let's say they're in a business uh, offices. Somebody else comes along to their cubicle and says, oh, lovely, lovely uh, lilacs uh, or roses or whatever. Are you wearing a perfume? What is that? Of course, there's nothing there. And a third or fourth person. So these can have a number of witnesses as well. We have one case where 12 people all smelled a fragrance that was not there all at the same mm-hmm. time. And can be a tobacco product, a favorite food, all other kinds of things like that. Obviously, the, the visual experiences are the most powerful. And that's when you see your deceased loved one either fully, as fully as we see each other in, in the flesh or just can be just a, an outline. There's a whole range of seeing them from, the, say, from the shoulders up or from the waist up or the knees up or the entire body. Or they're being almost... Uh, where you can see right through them, they're uh, mm-hmm. intangible that way, or uh, trans, translucent or trans, uh, uh, what's the Tra- other word? Transparent. Transparent, right. They can be transparent or translucent or almost solid, but not fully solid on up. So all different gradations. But the important part is not what you see that way, or, but when you do see them, almost always, and this is beautiful, they appear healed and whole regardless of the form of their death hmm. so whether it's this age dying of age or an accident an explosion a fire doesn't matter they come back healed and whole and they're showing you that so they want you to remember them that way not grieve for something you know your imagination or maybe you did see their remains
0: do and they come back the at, a, at a certain age like uh, if they
1: come d- back younger, yes.
0: So they do, well, okay.
1: Yes, well, typically they do, but not always. It depends. Uh, it's what they determine is their peak of their life or their vitality or something like that. And uh, some people would like to be 20s or 30s, and other people are very happy to be in their 60s, mm-hmm. in diverse standards, that kind of thing. So
0: those, and, uh, so those ADCs really align with the clairs, I guess, right? Like Clairvan- clairvoyance, clairsentience, clair... Yes, yes they do. Cognizance. Yes.
1: So they appear healed and whole, and you may often, often, often have two-way verbal communication with them when you see them. Sometimes it's one way, sometimes it's two. We have visions, which are very hard to describe, but they typically appear during meditation or prayer where your eyes are closed, but your eyes can be open. You mentioned my daughter, uh, Janet, Uh, ended her own life when she was 47, and uh, not right away, but a year or two later, a couple years later, I did see her in a vision, and that was right here in front of my so-called third eye. And in full color, she was turning, but she was also dancing in a circle at the same time. And she was very happy and very radiant, and she was working with children at that point, and she was an artist on earth, and a a painter and a writer, and she was working with children and their art, and creating things like I can't even describe, let alone duplicate, because it was three-dimensional and floating in the air and all all that kind of stuff. She was very joyous and very happy and told me so as I heard her speak as well. Twilight experiences are when people use the language, just as I was falling asleep, I saw or heard or whatever, or just as I was waking up. And that's only because they use that language. But typically, if they say, just as I was waking up, they do open their eyes and they're, there to see one is standing next to them, next to the bed or cot or wherever they are. Now the big, big category, of course, is so-called sleep state ADCs. So people call them dreams, but they quickly, very quickly, add on their own, not with prompting, on their own. Those unlike any other dream I ever had before, because a typical dream has is fragmented, symbolic, uh, hard to re- recall. You wake up if you don't write it down or record it right away. It just falls away into the ethers. But these have a beginning, a middle, and an end. They feel like a, vis- a visit, an actual visit, and because they, they are. And uh, you remember, remember it in detail. That's very clear to you. And uh, it's those who have had, obviously, ordinary dreams and who sleep state after-death communications, say they know the difference very clearly. It's very hard to describe it in words, but it's a very different state of Consciousness, uh, very different experience. Altogether. Yeah,
0: that was my experience. And it is, it is as vivid to me today as it was when it happened 20 years ago.
1: Yeah. And uh, the big thing is that they're in color usually, sometimes not. And um, the, the reason we have them so easily while we're asleep is because we're such, in America at least, we're such busy people. We're always going, going, going. And we it's more like we fall asleep because we're exhausted. <laughs> and, you know, we have finally turn off the TV or radio or whatever it is. And, and it's very, hard, very small windows of time when they can get through to us because we're so busy, busy, busy going from one activity to another. And, of course, these may occur while you're driving a car, and some have, but that's not the best time to have an experience <laughs>
0: like this. Yeah, that's <laughs> or, when or you also like, hear the voice pull over, right? <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yeah. Uh, out of body experiences. Yes, the people have left their own body and had um, met with their loved one who died, right nearby, or you know, a few hundred miles away, a few thousand miles away. And uh, a few have actually gone to the other side, called heaven, uh, paradise, the afterlife, whatever, and seen their loved one in that environment, their new home. And what I like to do with this one is expand upon it because this gave me a framework to understand these better. And I'm not saying you have to agree with me. This is just my own comprehension of it, my own explanation. But I like to think of it that each of us is a soul or a spirit here or now. We're wearing a physical body or our earth, earth suit. We need our earth suit in order to function. I couldn't pick up anything, I couldn't make a book, pick up a book, I couldn't read it, I couldn't talk to you, uh, do this show, I couldn't, I'd be invisible, I'd be a ghost myself, so to speak,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so we need that physical body, our Earth suit, but the only thing that dies, the only thing we no longer need and is discarded is our physical body, the Earth suit, which is very much like a space suit to an astronaut when they go outside of their space vehicle, they have to make a repair outside well this is if that gets a terror or some other damage enough of it it the person you know it will cease to function the person in it quote dies you no know, same for our, our human body we can take a lot of abuse a lot of things can go wrong and a lot of pieces can be removed but uh, eventually it'll cease to be, exist
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, telephone calls are a peculiar category but some people it would be hard for them to actually see their loved one, but they can receive a phone call while they're asleep. And the phone rings and they pick it up and they have a two-way conversation. But what about if you're standing in your kitchen, as some people have been, or a living room or wherever, phone rings, you pick it up, and you hear the voice of that person. You have one-way or two-way communication. And then their voice fades away, but you never hear a hang-up. You, there's no dial tone, there's no disconnect, mm-hmm. nothing like that. It just ceases to be so uh, that's a why can they not
0: stay longer why are they always so short or are they not
1: these are short compared to a near death experience which can for some experiences seem and be a very long time I say these are more like telegrams you know telegrams used to be like so many words or whatever well these are generally 60 seconds or less and uh, now that's not all of them Mm. Um, if you remember uh, Swami, no, not Sachin and um, The other one, I can't think of his yogi. I can't, oh, he wrote an autobiography of a yogi. Anyway, he his guru visited him after he died and they stayed for hours and hours and, and chatted for hmm. a long, long time. Um, but
0: sorry, there's nothing you that. can do to keep someone longer. It's uh, on not their Not that they know of,
1: no. Okay. You can ask him to come back and sometimes they say, I'll come again. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, uh, they've, the most common types of experiences that people have, I think, are ones that involve physical phenomena, such as lights, lamps, other even toys, stereos, radios going on spontaneously, not being touched. Just going on. Often, if it's a radio or something with music, it'll be something you associate only with that one person who you love, who has died. So it's not just random and what you like but it has a purpose to it or you look up in the sky you see it's a very overcast sky but there's one opening there's a rainbow in it mm-hmm. and you just know that's for you mm-hmm. and uh the various things photographs pictures other items or keys whatever or moved from one place in your home to another and this is for somebody who lives alone nobody with nobody else who could have moved and they just have moved around to different locations um it's an impossibly long list. I call it the things, that go, things that go bump in the night because mm-hmm. it, it's uh, so many different physical objects and, and whatnot that uh, are meant to be signs. And even uh, toys and things like that, which are broken, sometimes operate spontaneously
0: hmm.
1: and th- which can't be explained. Now, the other big one we call symbolic ADCs. And this is where you can ask for a sign if you haven't received one or ask for another one. And it's just a knowing that their their loved ones just still goes on, still exists, and please send me a sign of that as proof of that. You can ask your higher power, the universe, your deceased loved one, God, uh, Mary, Jesus, whoever. And then you wait and see what happens. And the most common ones involve butterflies and rainbows. Butterflies are the symbol of life after death in the Western culture. Uh, lady but. Uh, let's see the other one dragonflies are in the eastern world dragonflies hmm. uh, it may, this, these may involve ladybugs i started to say but it uh, involves all kinds of birds different species of birds and it's not just seeing the bird it's having the bird come up to you in one case of a woman i know a hummingbird would land on her finger and she had a very close association of hummingbirds with her son who had died
0: so and it's not just up. like, oh, there's a butterfly. No, it's, no, it's really that. that the butterfly or whatever it is feels like it's coming to it communicate with you. To
1: you. It does come to you. It can come to you and land on you or, or near you or you walk out in the backyard. There's a whole number, large number of them, maybe a species you've never seen before in your area. And they stay a few, a few seconds or whatever and then they dissipate.
0: Or before they sort of follow home. you, like I've had that experience. Yes, where you, like or you it, follow it. Yeah, it may or lead exactly.
1: You. It may lead you someplace if you're walking in a park or whatever to an area you've never been to before, and you find, oh, this is a lovely place. And uh, so it's a um, species of birds, flowers, uh, animals, uh, and very beautiful one. This boy loves the, the uh, Gulf of Mexico, and he loved boating and fishing and all that. And for his funeral, dolphins swam out with his family because they chose to go out to Gulf of Mexico off Florida to bury his ashes out in the water. And dolphins went side by side the boat until they dumped the ashes, released the ashes, and then, as when they did, the dolphins left. So again, there's always a story to it. It's not just random. Mm-hmm. Certainly not a butterfly squ- squat flat uh, on your windshield. It's not that at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> okay. You have to have a of humor with some of them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. And it was finding things, finding coins or feathers, pictures all kinds of different objects, and finding a whole series of them over time.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the whole books have been written about this more recently. And uh, basically what we like to say is that all these experiences provide comfort, hope and healing for people who are grieving, the loss of their loved one. And the typical messages, whether they're said verbally or just implied are, from their point of view, I'm okay, I'm fine, everything is okay, I'm happy. And they'll say, don't worry about me, don't grieve for me. Because there are two parts of grief. One is what we feel about the other person that they died so young or they had so much more they could have lived for and they left behind all their family members and all this. But that's our grief for them. And they're saying we don't need to, That, that that's all okay for them. And that where they are, they're okay, they're fine, they're happy with, with, their, with their new life. That Now we have to work through our sense of loss. Because grief is like feeling a hole inside you. And it's a big empty hole and gradually it does heal, but we need to learn how to heal it more quickly to be self nurturing, self loving, to do that. But, we, to, we, but they're saying we don't have to be concerned about them, just, for, just about ourselves. they will often say, everything will be all right, go on with your life, meaning our own life. Uh, they will often say thank you if we, for taking care of them if they were ill for many years or whatever. I'll always be there for you. I'm watching over you. Sounds like it is more of a guardian angel kind of thing. It's what a husband or a wife might say to each other after they have left. Um, guardian angel. I'll see you again, meaning when we make our transition, or maybe they'll come back and visit us in some way in the future. And whether it's said or not, this is the most important part. Is it's a, All these are messages saying, I love you. I think it's not easy for them to come back. And, and produce an after-death communication experience. I think it's difficult. I think, But I think that it takes energy and time and practice on the airport that they have to learn how to do it. But uh, they want us to know that they do love us, and love is, is eternal. And this, this is our book, of course, Love from Heaven. i like to show that. Get this at Amazon for less than $8
0: now. I got it. Is yeah. there is there a time frame when ADCs typically start or stop happening after the death of a loved one?
1: Um, they can start any time afterwards, but they're most typical during the first year or two. Um, generally speaking, they are less frequent, three, four, five years, and even further years later. But we have six chapters in a locum avenue. Why are these real? And one of them is is that they occur many years after the death of the, their, their death of the loved one. And it could be 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, over 30 years later. But the longer afterwards, the more specific, like the longest one, she said, get out, get out of your house. And the woman got out of the bedroom and out of the house and then a huge tree fell on her house and crushed that very bedroom she had been in minutes later. And it was during a storm here in Central Florida. And so it could be to uh, warn us of some impending danger or something of that nature, just to, uh, when they come back later on. But many are three or five years, or seven years, or 10 years later. And asking, see asking is a form of well, it's openness. It's a form of prayer. And when we ask, that's when we're saying, I'm, I'm ready to receive,
0: mm-hmm. we're,
1: we're acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. And that's um, expedites these occurring.
0: So can you talk a bit, because you talk about this in your book, and I think it's really helpful for people, the way that you address sort of these lower levels of life after death, because I think a lot of people are really scared about their, you know, people with strong religious beliefs who believe that there's a hell and if they, you know, sin that they're going to this hell. But the way that you kind of describe the this lower level, I found to be really I don't uh, know of too many that it, deal with maybe. lower
1: levels. I know of one where a person died by suicide and he was in a kind of a dark place and um, he was told he had to remain there until his life would have ended naturally on, on earth, rather than by suicide. But there aren't too many dark ones uh, in the whole book. And, yeah, uh, no,
0: I, th- I thought, I thought the way that, that you talked about him was not dark at all. It no, was, no, it I was much that. more like, it, if I recall, it was more along the lines of, you know, sometimes people would have a communication that just said, Can you just pray for me because I need to be able to like keep growing or grow my spirit yes. or grow my soul?
1: Okay. Well, yes. Uh, prayer. They sometimes, occasionally asked to be uh, for prayers because that's like a form of energy. It's, prayer is love. Uh, when you send somebody a prayer you're sending them love love is an energy and we're directing it to them and i think that's like an energy booster to help them process because they parent if you read about near-death experiences they'd have a life review and they process their entire lifetime and not everything we do is uh, saintly we'll put it that way mm-hmm. at least as a kid or as a teenager we might have been hopefully a little nicer when we were older mm-hmm. but maybe not who knows that's uh, people are human and I think we have to work through all of the karma so to speak that we incurred in our lifetime and but it's without judgment there's no judgment on the other side there's no judgmental god or being who says you were bad or you were condemned to this it's not like that it's really our own selves judging our own selves
0: mm-hmm. and
1: seeing the flaws in our lifetime and how we hurt other people and how we were basically how we were not loving And we were raised with all kinds of beliefs and that you should be macho or this or that. And it depends on the culture and the times you grew up in, I'm sure.
0: So it's really about, in this life, learning how to be as loving as possible to all
1: creatures. That's what makes life so much nicer and easier. I think the levels of consciousness. And I think there are infinite numbers of them. Right here on this earth, in the lowest of the low, somebody who would do any foul thing to anybody else, to the highest levels. I'm called Mother Teresa as an example only. I, I don't want to make it some uh, Catholic nun or, uh, alone, But Jesus, or any high teacher. Or just a, sometimes it's just an, a neighbor next door. It's an incredibly loving person. And mm-hmm. they go out of their way to help, whether it's veterans or the elderly or teenagers or the victims of pedophilia. Who knows what it is? Uh, They're just there to help others throughout their life. And that's who they are. You don't hear about them. Nobody writes stories about them. They're not on TV. Um, They're just incredibly caring people. And that's are the ones who are living the most spiritual lives, I believe.
0: So if you could give my listeners just a few tips to be more, I, I get this question all the time. How do I connect? How do I connect? What would you say? One thing I wrote down, which I think is critical, is be less busy. <laughs>
1: I'm afraid that uh, I could say that, and you could say that ten thousand times. <laughs> be less busy, busy. But uh, I don't think too many people would know how to do that.
0: Well, right, <laughs> built into but, our lives. Right, but for those of you out there who want to connect, think about ways you could be less busy. Right. Yes,
1: I agree with you. What, what? we say, the, what I've said for, and I've gave workshops for thirty years, mostly for bereaved parents, but for everything else, for widows and widowers, and. Victims of homicide, victims of suicide, and on and on and on. Survivors of suicide, survivors of homicide, etc. cetera. Is uh, learn how to meditate.
0: Mm-hmm. Meditate
1: means to slow down, breathe, relax, open, experience the joy of life, whether it be nature, if it's near you. And you can do this in your bedroom or your living room or outside in, in a park, anywhere, or it depends where you live. Learning how to meditate, because you open up, as I indicated earlier, your inner senses. And we have those. And and they even teach them on Wall Street today, by the way, to use your inner senses uh, in the business world, because it's so much more effective for communication, for good relationships. And by doing so, we're opening ourselves up to that incredibly much larger world, the spiritual world, which is much larger. I don't want to offend anybody, but it's much larger than going to any one church, or all the churches? It's like infinitely large compared to that. And uh, once we sort of make contact with that, our life begins to shift and to change and to become lighter, to lighter and lighter, filled with light, and also lighter in weight, so to speak. Mm-hmm. As we kind of things become more easy in life, to our relationships become more pleasant. People who were difficult before fall away, and we bring new people into our life who are more caring, more nurturing, more loving of us, and we give back. It's more easy to do that. It's easier to do that. And that's. it's really about consciousness,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think. And uh, yep. it makes it delightful to, to be to be able to do it. That's the joy of what I've done for 30 years, is being able to share all this with other people. Mm-hmm. I'm not special. I'm not anything at all. I'm just the first one who wrote the book. That's all. With my former wife, Judy. But um,
0: it was, so, it
1: was just so wonderful to be able to. So it's such an honor to do this.
0: Well, and thank you for coming on today. It was such an honor to interview you. Like I said, this has been one of the, you've been one of the people that I've wanted to have on the show for a while now. So I'm really grateful that you took the time if people want to learn about you buy your book the book is called hello from heaven on amazon and your website can you give us that information as well
1: well we do have a different website i'm going to refer you to, to one the old one we aren't really using anymore and so everything in it's in the book anyway but the one we're promoting so to speak is healingangel.org. angel.org healing Angel.org.org. It has uh, 16 guided imagery or guided meditations on it, and and three of these are for grief. Uh, One is for grief itself, one's for anger, and another for depression. So, if any of your viewers are feeling those emotions, we have them on all all different ones, including for PTSD, for quitting smoking, Um, 16 different topics. And uh, my son and I wrote those, but he recorded them in his voice. We have heart music in the background. And uh, that's healingangel.org. And by using these, you'll open up your senses automatically to having after-death communications. Because as you learn how to use one kind of meditation or with music and all, you, you just transfer to any place else. It's the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Bill, so much today for your time. This was really enlightening and hopefully continues to move my listeners and open them up more as well. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Pam. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.